Thank you, Nathan. You know, Nathan really could not have sung a more appropriate song for what we've been looking at the last few weeks. We've been uh, studying the armor, the spiritual armor that God has provided His people uh, to advance the gospel of Christ, to reach a lost world uh, for Jesus, uh, for people truly do need the Lord. And uh, we have been chosen by God as His people uh, to be His light, to be salt, uh, to be His witness. And uh, we have that uh, great uh, responsibility uh, to accomplish that mission, and of course we can only do it uh, through the provision and the power that God makes uh, for us. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series on keys to spiritual growth, and uh, the last few weeks as we've been looking at our spiritual armor, it's part of that larger sermon series. And uh, last Sunday, we actually uh, concluded uh, the examination of the six pieces of armor uh, that God has provided for us, which are found in the sixth chapter of Ephesians, uh, verses 11 uh, through 17. And uh, we praise Him for those pieces of armor. Uh, because that is what enables us uh, to be victorious over the devil as we seek to complete our mission of advancing the kingdom of Christ. Now, you'll notice in your sermon notes, and this is the fourth week we've had this same uh, handout, uh, but there is one final point we still need to cover. That point number seven, the very last one on, on prayer. But before we do that, uh, let me give you a very, very brief review of the six pieces of armor that we need to uh, put on. And this is going to be brief, and, uh, and uh, if you have missed any, uh, you'll have the opportunity at least to get the, uh, all the blanks filled in in your, in your notes. And if you missed any of the messages, I would encourage you to go to our church website uh, where you can uh, view any of our previous messages. In uh, uh, the last three weeks, we uh, looked at two pieces of the armor each week. And we began, of course, by making four observations from uh, verses 11, uh, 12, and 13 from Ephesians 6, which reads, and let's read this one more time, put on the full armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. The four observations we made were life is war. The war is against supernatural evil powers. There is the danger of defeat, but praise God, He has provided uh, all that we need for victory. God has made the provision for victory. So life is war. The war is against evil powers. There is the danger of defeat, but God has made the provision for victory, which is found in the six pieces of spiritual armor, which are, first, the belt of of truth. Verse 14, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Uh, 
Look at the application that we made. Again, this is a very brief review. We're not going to cover that material, but we do want you to see the application. Being prepared and ready to follow Christ into battle regardless the sacrifice and cost. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 captures this sentiment well. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. We have a mission to complete, and that must be our number one priority in life. The second piece of armor, the breastplate of righteousness. Also in verse 14, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And the application here is maintaining clear thinking and stable emotions in the heat of the battle by practicing righteousness. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34, Awake to righteousness and do not sin. Romans 13, verses 12 and 14, So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. The power to win the battle is found in purity of heart and life. The third piece of armor, the gospel boots. Verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The application, we always have to be prepared to move with the gospel, to advance the gospel, to share the gospel with the lost in taking the offensive against the devil. Isaiah 52 verse 7, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. The fourth piece of armor, the shield of faith. Verse 16, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. The application I extinguish the fiery temptations of the devil by trusting God, trusting His Word, and trusting my fellow comrades in arms. Psalm 18.30, as for God, His way is perfect. The Word of the Lord is proved. He is a shield to all those who take refuge in Him. 1 John 5.4, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And then last Sunday, we saw the last two pieces of armor. First, the helmet of salvation, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Uh, and the application is the unshakable confidence that the battle will one day be over and Christ's forces will be victorious, which overcomes all discouragement and doubt and is the ultimate remedy for all battle fatigue. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, 9, having put on as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God is not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, let me just emphasize, we notice, remember, that there are three aspects to salvation, past, present, and future. Past is what we theologically call justification. 
All of our sins were forgiven. Present is sanctification, that God is the power at work in us to deliver us from the power of his sin, to live a righteous life. He's that power causing all things to work for our good, our spiritual good, and his greater glory. And then, of course, the future aspect of salvation, our glorification, when we will be delivered from the very presence of sin and will be seated at the side of Christ as as His eternal bride, His eternal queen, to reign and rule with Him. And what the devil does, he tries to create doubt and discouragement. He will try to tell you that your sins are not forgiven. He'll try to tell you that you cannot overcome sin that all things are not working for your good. He will try to tell you that the battle is lost, that the ultimate victory is not Christ. And, of course, that helmet of salvation is what maintains our confidence in the heat of the battle as the devil attacks us with those, uh, that doubt and that temptation. And then the last piece of armor, the sword of the Spirit. Uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is, of course, the Word of God. And the application, very important, just like a sword's power is not realized until you what? Pick it up and use it in battle. The Bible's power is not realized until you pick it up and use it. Not just learn it, know it, but use it, apply it, obey it, and share it with the lost. It is the power of God unto salvation. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now we come to that seventh and final point, and that is prayer. And it's simply this truth. The Christian's link uh, to the command and control center in heaven. That's what prayer is. In the context of these verses, with the Christian being on the battlefield, battlefield, equipped with the armor of God, the prayer is our link to the command and control center in heaven. Take your Bibles, and we do want to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18, 19, and 20. Ephesians 6, 18, 19, and 20. We read there, and again, remember, immediately following this discussion of the armor of God, with all prayer and petition... Pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, unlike many of our English translations, for example, I was reading from the New American Standard Version, and verse uh, 17 is seen as as a new uh, separate sentence. Uh, But that's not the way it reads in the Greek uh, text. Uh, Verse 18 does not begin a new sentence. Uh, there's just a comma there after verse 17, and the, and the thought continues going into prayer. In other words, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. So Jesus, here's the point, and hear it carefully. Jesus, our commander, has given us a mission to complete, 
has given His church a mission to complete, His people a mission to complete, you as His child, as His soldier, a mission to complete. And that mission is to go into the world, to take the offensive against the devil, to rescue the souls of men by living and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, to ensure victory over the devil, to ensure that we complete our mission, Jesus has not only provided the armor we need, but also He has given us prayer. Listen now, prayer as a battlefield walkie-talkie to keep us continually connected with Him. A battlefield walkie-talkie to receive our orders, to receive the supplies we need in accomplishing our mission, to receive tactical advice, intelligence on the enemy, and when needed, to call in reinforcements and air cover. We have been given personal access. This is amazing. 24-7 to the command and control center of, of heaven, and even more important, to the one who runs it all, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's the simple truth. Now, let me make four applications uh, from that uh, truth. And here's the first one. Prayer is the power behind the armor. Prayer is the power behind the armor. Prayer is the power behind accomplishing our mission to reach a lost world for Christ. But notice, it's not just any praying. Verse 18 says, praying at all times, what? In the Spirit. Praying at all times in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Now, let's not make this complicated. First, it means we pray recognizing our total, utter, absolute dependence on the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit to wield God's armor and complete His mission. A great example of this is Paul's prayer uh, a little bit earlier in Ephesians, in chapter 3, where he says, God, God, grant us, grant us, because we are in need, according to the riches of your glory, to be strengthened with power, through the Holy Spirit in the inner man. See, it's in that inner man that we need courage, that we need strength, that we need boldness to embrace the mission that God has given us, to persevere in that mission, to take the gospel to a lost world. So he says, let me know that power of the Holy Spirit in my inner man, that I might know Christ always dwelling comfortably in my heart, rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus Christ, to know the length, depth, breadth, and height of that love, to spread that love, to be filled with the fullness of God, that I might display Him to others. And now I'm going to trust you, God, that you are that power at work in me, and you are working in me to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything that I could ever ask, think, or pray. And you're doing that through that power of the Holy Spirit. That power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead for whom nothing is impossible. You're doing that for the honor and the glory of Jesus. And you're doing that not only for this present generation, but for the spiritual benefit of future generations. 
So there's a beautiful example of a prayer acknowledging as we engage in this battle our total and utter and absolute dependence upon the Holy Spirit providing that strength in the inner man that we might persevere in accomplishing our mission. But praying in the Spirit also means bringing our prayers in line with the Spirit's thinking, with the Spirit's will, which we discover where? In God's Word. The Spirit will never do anything contrary to the Word of God. Therefore, praying in the Spirit is simply shaping our prayers, shaping our prayers to be in harmony with God's will. To focus our prayers on what is most important to God. And did not Jesus teach us to pray this way in the Lord's Prayer? He said, this is the way you're to pray. Hallowed what? Be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Beloved, listen. We need to get beyond just praying for the physical and material needs of people. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's something terribly wrong when we never get beyond that. We need to start praying for spiritual issues. We need to begin focusing our prayers that He would use us as His instruments to extend His presence, to express the lovely character of Christ, to execute His will, to advance the gospel of Christ. And if we would do this, it would literally revolutionize our prayer lives. We would then begin to see our circumstances, not things to escape, but opportunities to put Jesus on display before the eyes of a watching lost world. We would begin to see our homes, not just a place to lay our heads and sleep. We'd see our workplaces, not just a place to get a paycheck or a school to get an education or a team, or an activities to be involved in something we enjoy doing. No, we would see all of those as opportunities to be a witness for Jesus, and that He's placed us there sovereign, in His sovereignty to be that witness, to put Him on display that others might be drawn to Jesus. So prayer is the power behind the armor. Prayer is how we put it on. Prayer is what infuses the armor with the power of the Holy Spirit, and, of course, prayer is that power that will enable us to accomplish the mission that God has given us. The second application I'd like to make is that in Ephesians 6, verses 18 through 20, the verses we read, we're actually told, just in those three verses, when we're to pray, how we're to pray, who we're to pray for, and what we're to pray for. First, when are we to pray? Did you catch what he said? He said, what, at all times. We're to pray at all times in the Spirit. Now, this obviously does not mean we're always to be saying prayers. I mean, that's, that's obvious. That would be an impossibility because we get involved in conversations with other people and other activities. So, what does he exactly mean when he says pray at all times? The thought is we're always to be in communion with Christ. We're always to be conscious of His presence as we live life, 
as we encounter life's trials and tribulations, temptations, relationships, decisions, challenges, ministry opportunities. See, to pray at all times means that I filter everything that I see, everything that I hear, everything that I encounter in life. I filter that through God's Word in order to bring my thoughts my attitudes, my values, and my actions in conformity to God's words. In other words, never turn your walkie-talkie off. That's what he's saying. Stay continually connected with God. So, as you're walking along and when you're tempted, immediately turn to God for help. He's made available access immediately to him. When something good happens, thank God for it. When something evil happens, pray to God to make it right and be willing to be used of Him to that end. When meeting someone who does not know Christ, pray for God to bring that person to salvation and use you as His witness. When encountering trouble, don't panic. Turn to God for provision and deliverance. I think of Paul's prayer in Colossians 1 where he says, God, Fill me, fill me with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Give me the ability to see all life as you see it. And then respond in a manner where I would walk worthy of my calling in Christ. To please you in all things, in every aspect of my life. Bearing fruit in every good work. Increasing in my knowledge of you. Strengthened by your power to know steadfastness, patience, joy. And giving thanks to you in all things. The prayers recorded in the Bible. Listen to this very carefully. The prayers recorded in the Bible are much more than words to recite. They express the attitude in which we are to live the whole of our lives at all times. I'm to walk through life with that disposition, to walk worthy of my calling, to please Him in all things, to bear fruit in all things, to increase in my knowledge of Him. Now, how are we to pray? How are we to pray? Well, it says, keep alert with all perseverance. Keep alert with all perseverance. Life on planet earth, we've already seen this, is a spiritual battleground. We are soldiers fighting to advance Christ's kingdom. Prayer is the means that God has given us to keep alert with perseverance. Not only for the attacks from the enemy, but also for opportunities to share and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, God will provide the opportunity. Sad thing is, most of the time we're not looking for those opportunities. And therefore they go by and we never seize them. Now, who are we, are we to pray for? He says, for all what? All the saints. In other words, I'm to focus my prayers not on self but others. I'm to focus my prayers on my comrades in arms. We are fighting this battle together. And so I need to pray for you to know strength, to know courage, to have clarity as you fight this battle, as God uses your life as a witness for Him. Now, what are we to pray for? What are we to pray for? And, and I love uh, the answer to this. Paul says in this, these verses, 
when you pray for me, he says, this is what you, I want you to pray for me about. He says, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known what? With boldness, the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says, pray for clarity and courage in sharing the gospel of Christ with the lost. That's exactly what he's asking prayer for. Now, this is a great example of praying in the Spirit, praying in harmony with God's will, praying for what is most important to God. And let me explain why I say that. Ephesians was written during Paul's imprisonment in Rome as he awaited trial before Nero. He did not know whether he was going to live or be executed for his faith. And this is why he refers to himself in verse 20 as an ambassador for Christ. What? In change. Yet, what concerns Paul most? What does Paul ask prayer for? Not the prison chains that are cutting his wrist and ankles. He doesn't ask for prayer for his comfort and safety. He doesn't even ask for prayer that he might be released from prison, delivered from death, but that his mouth be opened boldly to declare the gospel. That the gospel be unchained and unleashed on a lost world. This is very, very similar to what Paul wrote in Philippians, which was also written during the same imprisonment. Paul says there, this is what I am expecting of God. This is what I'm hoping for in this imprisonment. This is what I am praying for. That I not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ shall even now, right now in this prison cell, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Beloved, against such prayers, the principalities and powers of evil tremble. And they'll begin to tremble again if we would begin to pray such prayers. With that expressing what would be the heart and passion of our lives. You know, uh, uh, later today, uh, Kathy and I uh, will be traveling to uh, focus on the family in Colorado Springs. Uh, I have a, a, a meeting there with the uh, key leaders f from across the country uh, related to pregnancy center ministry. It's a very close, tight-knit group of about uh, 20 individuals that had various ministries that relate to pregnancy centers. This would be a very strategic meeting over about three days, and I'd, I'd ask you to pray uh, for that meeting uh, as we look to God for direction. We'll spend the first day morning, afternoon, and evening, and nothing but prayer the entire day. Uh, just seeking God's face, uh, and then uh, we'll move from there and uh, looking at uh, how to develop more collaborative uh, efforts among ourselves, uh, looking at strategy, what the enemy's doing, to try to stay on, on top of that, and uh, uh, just to be that instrument to be used of God. And, you know, I'm often asked, Andy, why do you believe that God has blessed the pregnancy center movement in such a marvelous, wonderful way. And He has. I mean, God has used uh, pregnancy centers throughout the nation, literally, 
and I'm not embellishing, I'm not exaggerating over these years, to save thousands of thousands of not only babies from physical destruction to have the opportunity to discover their God-given destiny, but thousands and thousands of individuals coming to know Christ. The birth mothers, the, the dads, other, other family members. Well, if you were to ask me what's been the key to that blessing, this is how I would answer that. When we were looking at establishing uh, the ministry, uh, I got alone with God in a cabin for about a week, just for a time of prayer and fasting. And one of the most important things that came out of that time is what we simply call the 10 foundational bricks to pregnancy center ministry. And these biblical principles provided the foundation for what we established uh, right here in Columbus through what is now known as Sound Choices Pregnancy Clinic just right down the road. And then as we began to travel throughout the nation establishing hundreds of other pregnancy centers, these 10 foundational bricks were the very first thing that would be shared. And I can honestly tell you that these foundational bricks in pregnancy centers throughout the country, they're not just words on a piece of paper. I mean, this is our life. This is our breath. Now, I'm not going to share all ten with you, but let me just share five with you. Just to help you understand why I believe God has blessed this ministry. Because of the commitment to cooperate with God in what is most important to Him. Listen, the pregnancy center's primary purpose is to put God on display. To be an extension of the Father's presence. An expression of of Christ's person, and an exhibition of the Spirit's power. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. John 15, where he talks about, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And we recognize that all a pregnancy center is, is a branch, an extension of God to bear fruit. That fruit is the reproduction of Christ's life. And we reproduce that fruit not for ourselves, but for the nourishment of others, to bring Jesus' life to others. The next foundational brick. Serving in the pregnancy center is not so much out of a commitment to the pro-life cause, but more out of a commitment to the Lordship of Christ. Therefore, every worker should know the call of God, be committed to living a holy life with their greatest desire to know Christ and make Him known to others. The next one. Each client is God's gift to teach us how to unconditionally love others as Christ loved us. Philippians 2, 3, and 8. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard others more important than yourself. And then listen to this next one. The Pregnancy Resource Center is an evangelistic arm of the supporting local churches with all counseling services based on the authority of God's Word. Therefore, every worker should be equipped to share the gospel message of salvation and disciple others. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, be ready to preach and share the gospel when it's convenient when it's not. And then the last one, the effective Pregnancy Resource Center is sustained by God through prayer. Therefore, prayer and spiritual war warfare are to be priority for all workers. And the passage there is the passage we're looking at, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. The point I'm making is I believe that's why God has so wonderfully blessed this ministry. Because we've put first things first. And the goal 
the passion in this work is to reach people for Jesus. That's it right there, to reach people for Jesus, for them to be touched by His grace, never to be the same again, that, Je- that all the glory and praise would resound to Jesus Christ. That again, these individuals, these babies would be just raised up as trophies of His grace. The third application, let me make, is that prayer is all about receiving and following the orders of a sovereign God. Acquiring the supplies and firepower necessary to accomplish the mission and then executing God's battle plan and enforcing His will. Let me repeat that. Prayer is all about receiving and following the orders of a sovereign God, acquiring the supplies and firepower necessary to accomplish the mission and then executing God's game plan and enforcing His will. In other words, prayer is not our means to get God moving to accomplish our will. Prayer is God's means to get us moving to accomplish His will. Prayer is not persuading God to do something He's reluctant to do. Prayer is cooperating with God to accomplish what He longs to do. The purpose of prayer is to plug my life into the sovereign rule of God in order to be empowered to fulfill His mission of sharing the gospel of Christ with a lost world. I come to him to be lit, to be a light for Jesus. But make no mistake about it. Although God is sovereign, our responsibility is real. God in his sovereignty has ordained that he will work through his people, through his church. He alone is the head, but we are his body here on earth, to execute His will. He alone is the vine, but we are alone the branches to extend His presence and through fruit-bearing reproduce His life in order that others will find nourishment. You know, prayer, this is the way I like to look at prayer. Prayer could be likened to a safety deposit box in the bank vault. The bank has a key and you have a key. Neither key will open the box alone. Both keys are required. Heaven holds the key by which all decisions are made. God alone is sovereign. But we hold the key by which those decisions are implemented and enforced on earth. This is beautifully seen in Matthew 16. We looked at this a few weeks ago, uh, uh, part of uh, Matthew 16, but especially verses 18 and 19. Where Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, he he pictures the church, what? On the offense, storming the very gates of hell. And he says, "Even, even the powers of hell will not be able to overcome my church. But the church will overcome the powers of hell. And then he says, and I've given you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So he says, I've given you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth would have been bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. See, that's what he's saying. He's saying the two keys. He's saying, you don't determine what happens. No, you simply bind what's already been bound in heaven. You simply lose what already has been loosed in heaven. Again, God is sovereign. He makes the decisions. But he has entrusted us with the responsibility to implement, to execute, to enforce his sovereign decisions. Now, one last application before we conclude. 
one of the primary reasons, and I think this should be obvious to all of us, one of the primary reasons we have so little power in prayer is that we are not serving in active duty as soldiers of Christ. We are not engaged in the fight for the souls of men by advancing the gospel. The greatest need in Edgewood Baptist Church, the greatest need in our churches throughout the United States of America and throughout the world is to embrace the priority of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ and reaching a lost world for Jesus. And my invitation as we close today is let's rally behind our commander-in-chief. Let's use that uh, walkie-talkie as he intended, as a wartime walkie-talkie, and not try to transform it into a civilian intercom. See, that's what we've done. It's meant to be used on the battlefield as we engage the enemy to accomplish his mission, to execute his will, not for our pleasures and comfort. So let's rally behind our commander-in-chief and let's pray. Let's fight for the annihilation of Satan's kingdom, for the establishment of God's kingdom through the global and local witness of the church until we proclaim with the host of heaven as is recorded in Revelation 11:15, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. Francis Havergal captured this beautifully in the words of a hymn. Oh, the joy to see thee reigning, thee my own beloved Lord, every tongue thy name confessing, Worship, honor, glory, blessing, brought to thee with glad accord. Thee, my master and my friend, vindicated and enthroned unto earth's remotest end, glorified, adored, and owned. Amen? Bow with me in prayer. Father, we are your soldiers. And Father, we may not have been the best soldiers that we could be, and we acknowledge that, and we acknowledge that too often we go AWOL in the conflict, and we get lost in our own ambitions, um, needs, and desires, and we lose sight of the battle that you've called us to. So, Lord, first give us the grace as your people to embrace the challenge that you've given us, to embrace the mission that you've given us to go into the world, uh, to share the gospel uh, with all of creation, to begin right here in our own Jerusalem, and then from our Jerusalem to move out uh, to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, to our state, to our nation, to our world. And Father, we, we desperately need you. We desperately need you to provide the motivation for this, the energy, uh, the empowerment that we would, through prayer, put on that full armor of God, through prayer to see that armor infused with the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit, and through prayer uh, to be empowered uh, to embrace and to fulfill the mission that you've given us uh, to share the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. Uh, So, Father, uh, today, I trust all of us, we simply want to renew our enlistment. And in trusting as we do, that you will equip us as we look to you. Uh, You will empower us, and uh, you will use us. And, uh, and thank you that, uh, that you are that power at work in us. And you are that power at work in us to do beyond what any one of us this morning could even begin to think. Could even begin to imagine or hope for. And Lord, that's exciting to realize that you want to use us in a way that we could never imagine right now. You want to use this church in a way that we could never imagine. And we know the first step is to come to that place of total and absolute surrender, where we're ready to follow your marching orders, uh, ready to engage in the fight, regardless the price, regardless the cost. And so, Lord, uh, we give ourselves to you for that purpose, and we trust as we do that you'll complete that good work that you've begun in us, and you'll use us for your honor and your glory, and you'll shape a a group of recruits that... uh, very deficient, uh, very weak in so many ways, but yet you would train us, you would take us through your boot camp, and then you would use us for your honor and your glory, for it's in Christ's name we do pray, amen.